Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and today we're talking to the teacher of balance, wholeness, and wellness, Rachel Redmond. After learning how to process her own anxiety and health issues, some of which she wasn't even aware of, Rachel's now teaching women how to simplify their self-care so they can feel 10 times better and live productive and fulfilling lives. She's a doctor of Eastern medicine and an Ayurvedic practitioner. She specializes in women's health but really everything she talks about is good for all of us. She knows self-care doesn't have to be stressful or something extra on our to-do list. In the yin way, Rachel teaches the foundational principles everyone needs to know but often has never even been taught to experience sustainable inner peace and radiant health. Rachel's here. She's going to tell us how to feel better and live stress-free lives right now. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Rachel Redmond. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yay. Now you have so many different ways that you describe yourself, which are so beautiful and fabulous. One that I found interesting besides, I definitely want you to describe yin and energy, the yin Mm -hmm. and the yang is Mm -hmm. of course what I think of, but Ayurvedic is confusing to a lot of people. They've heard Mm -hmm. the term. And can you talk about what that is and describe it and say what you do with that Ayurvedic energy? I'd love to. So I am an Ayurvedic practitioner and Ayurveda is a system of medicine that originated in India thousands of years ago. And I think of it as a truly holistic medicine because it takes into account the the, the body, the mind and the spirit. And so when we look at health of an individual, we're looking at it from all those three angles, like health of their physical bodies, their mental health, and also their spiritual health and wellness. So do you... It looks like you're in an office. Do you actually, do you see people in an office and then look at them from all three angles? So I, I do. I see people over zoom now. I'm also an acupuncturist and I actually closed my acupuncture practice in May because of COVID. And I, I was working both online and in person. So I just shut down the, the in-person and went completely online. So now this is my home office and I work with people. If someone wants an Ayurvedic assessment or a consultation, we'll work together and I'll do a really in-depth health history for them. And I'll get a sense of what is their, we call it the three mind body types or doshas in Ayurveda. So it's, it's helpful to understand what is your, you know, your underlying constitutional type and then what is out of balance. So I then give recommendations and support around helping people make healthier choices that are more, that are, that would be healing for them because there's no one right, you know, food or diet or medicine. It's all, it's very individualized. It does help to be in person with someone because you can, like I would might take their pulse or look at their tongue or examine their, their body. But I I don't do that over zoom and truly there's so much I can do over zoom. So it's not necessary. What would you look for at their tongue? Is it something we can go look in the mirror and look at our tongue and yeah, you can for sure. So, so looking at your tongue is a great way to assess your overall health and your digestive health in particular, because the tongue is the only organ of the digestive system that we can actually see. So it gives us a lot of information and from both the, the Chinese medicine perspective and the Ayurvedic perspective, we're looking at things like what is the color of the tongue? Is there a tongue coat? 
Are there cracks? Like where are the cracks located? It, they can correspond to different organs that might be out of balance or needing some support. So the tongue is a, is a microsystem of the entire body and it tells a lot of information. So I, I would generally say when you wake up in the morning, stick out your tongue and look at it and see how it changes over time, day to day, maybe based on what you've eaten and it can give a lot of information. I know that you had healed from 20 years of digestive issues and food sensitivities. How did you heal from that? Because so many people, Mm -hmm. at least in this country, definitely have all kinds of food problems, gut problems, bloat, I don't know, all those different food, stomach issues and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, my digestive issues were really my doorway into Ayurveda and then Eastern medicine in general. And Ayurveda looks at the digestive system as really central to our overall health. If the, if the digestion or the gut function is off, likely that will ripple out into other systems of the body. So I grew up just the pretty much the first 20 years of my life. I just was a kid who was prone to stomach aches. I always kind of suffered from constipation and I, what else over time when I was about 10, I realized I was lactose intolerant. So I, I would still eat dairy, but I would take those little lactate pills. And <laughs> generally I'd still get really bad stomach pains and kind of have to, you know, most parties had cheese and like pizza and ice cream. And I didn't really know at that time. So I, you know, eat that. And then I kind of have to sit out at the party. And over time, as I grew up in my teenage years, it just got worse and worse until I went to college and I finally was able to find someone to help me, which happened to be an Ayurvedic practitioner. Really my, my medicine was really simple. I was advised to learn to meditate, to learn um, transcendental meditation in particular. So I did that. And after just a couple of months or maybe weeks of meditating, um, I realized that I had basically chronic anxiety because once it, the meditation helped me to lessen the anxiety, which I just thought was like my normal. I just, I was kind of like a type A, like, you know, high, you know, wired kind of person. But when I learned to meditate, I realized I'm like, no, I'm actually much more like type B, like earthy, go with the flow. And I had just been experiencing anxiety probably my whole life. And I didn't know, cause that was just my, you know, that was just like my state of being. But when the anxiety was reduced, my stomach issues almost like, like 80% got better. So, okay. So was, wait, yeah. So where were you going to school? I was at the university of Michigan in Ann okay, Arbor. So, and then did your friend group change? Like, I mean, here you are, you're in the middle of college and you're now doing meditation and your anxiety level change and you go from yeah. into an earthy person. I have a daughter in college. That's why I'm like, yeah, it's, um, I can't it, even fathom. It definitely changed my college experience. I still was very much into my friends and going out and like, I was just so happy I could like eat pizza at the end of the night at like two in the morning or something like without having a problem. But I would meditate once in the morning for 20 minutes and once before dinner for 20 minutes. And my, my roommates knew because I would put like a post-it note on my door and I had a basement bedroom with like seven other roommates. And so it was so loud and I just learned to meditate in all this noise. And I kind of felt like it was my superpower because, you know, when you're 20, you have like lots of energy as is. So I could meditate and then like, this was not the way it was supposed to use it probably, but then I could stay up till four in the morning. And like, I just had so much energy and like, I got a lot, I don't know. I just was really 
feeling good about life. So as I grew older, I realized that's not like the balanced way, but you know, through my college years, it was kind of my secret weapon to study really hard and to still have fun with my friends. Okay. Molly, you're going to get to listen to this one. <laughs> I guess the best thing though, was that I, I realized I learned how to manage my chronic anxiety and I had been having some leaky gut issues and that the, the stress and the emotional component was for me, the root cause. So when I had a way to manage the stress and to really process my emotions, my body could heal. And that was what got me on this path to, cause I really significantly understood the mind and the body connection. So I wonder so many kids have ADD and all these different issues that are being medicated. I wonder how much of that could be healed by an Ayurvedic mind, body, spirit solution these days. I, I don't know. I probably shouldn't yeah. get into any of that, but I can't, I can't, I don't know, but I know that so much of, of what we see is, is really the, the stress and the stimulation and the, you know, input on our nervous system. And we don't tend to have a way to like decompress and from that in a, in a productive way. So it's all, yeah, it all goes together. Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. So here you are, you're in college and you've got this new kind of lifestyle. Did you decide I'm going to do this for a living or how did you end up? <laughs> so I didn't know what I wanted to do in college, but I ended up uh, studying English literature. sort of like, I don't know, like, you know, I, I don't know. It just was the simple choice. And meanwhile, I was studying Ayurveda in kind of outside of school. So I was studying Ayurveda in the background. And then I thought I'd go to medical school. So I did all of my pre-med prerequisites and then worked in a hospital for a little while to get some experience and realized it, Western medicine wasn't for me. And at that point I was able to say, you know what, there's an Ayurveda school in Albuquerque, New Mexico. There's a wonderful teacher there. Why don't I go study this for real and see if I can make a career out of it? So that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fast forward because you do a lot of work with grief and recovering from grief and tools to get through because everybody, I mean, I feel like the country is kind mm -hmm. of going through grief. Yes, um, for sure. People want to know how to feel better now. I mean, really it's, there's a lot of steps and tools and things that we can do. And you're writing a book on this right now. Mm -hmm. It's okay yeah. for me to say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you've done a lot of work behind this and how did you get to where you're writing the book and are you just seeing so many patients behind it or tell me what's brought you to where you're writing the book and mm -hmm. yeah. So it, you know, so I'll, I can share a little bit about my experience with grief and loss, but I guess I don't, I guess I it's it like my experience of grief informs the work that I do. And it actually really became what my business is today. And the reason I call my business the yin way and the significance of that is really a, a, a grief story. And I, I don't say that I, I necessarily like see myself as someone, I don't market myself as like a grief counselor or coach or anything like that, but I feel like 
we all grieve. We all experience losses, whether they're like big losses, like a loved one or a lesser loss, like moving to a new state, you know, there we experience challenging emotions all the time. And I think what most people are lacking is a way for that emotional digestion to occur and happen. And that is what I learned when I was 20 was that I wasn't emotionally digesting my experience. My parents had gotten a divorce and my mom had been ill for a long time and there was all these stressors and I just didn't have the tools to process until I learned to meditate. And then until I learned Ayurveda and just learned more about my myself. So I guess the work I do, it, it covers grief. Cause I think we all grieve, you know, even aspects of our own identity as we age and you know, go from being maybe a single person to married and then with children, like there's all these movements of life that are, we grieve. And I don't think we really talk about that. And unless we can really be present with our experience and our emotions, just that buildup of emotional baggage can, can affect our health and our mental health really just dampen our, you know, view of the world. Absolutely. And I, feel like I don't know about you, but I miss hugging my girlfriends more than anything. Mm -hmm. And that is such a huge thing. Yes. Yeah. I I, I don't know if you're on Clubhouse, but I feel like creating a room on Clubhouse saying, do you miss hugging your girlfriend? (laughs) I mean, it's something that lifts us up so much. And I know guys, they're dudes. They don't have that same kind of thing. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I, I interviewed Evan Mark Katz, who's this renowned dating coach and everything else. And I said, what are you doing for your dude time? And he's like, we don't have dude time. Yeah. So that's why girls, the single girls should give guys a break when they want to get married right away. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're just craving anything, but we are craving it too. Now we're used to hugging each other when we see each other. At least I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, no, I miss my my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Even now there's so much to grieve, like whatever, you know, even just like, it's so simple. Like, I mean, people are grieving the loss of life for sure, you know, with COVID. And then we're also just grieving the loss of our, our old life. Even if it was busy and stressful, we're like, I'm like, I have a three-year-old. So this past year, I haven't been able to do any of those things that they're so simple, like go to the library for music class or take him to gymnastics class or take him for an ice cream cone. You know, like there's such these simple aspects of life, but now we see that we kind of took them for granted before. I mean, who would have thought this global pandemic and so we all are grieving something, whether it's people or jobs or just, you know, our children's prom experience, you know, there's just yeah, so I many. Have a senior. I have a senior. Yeah, he, he, right. hasn't been, he hasn't been at school since second semester, 11th grade. Now he's in his second semester right. senior year. So, you know, okay. Yeah. A <laughs> lot to, there's just a lot to, to process right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's so true. And your son socialization and it, it's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, all of it, but everybody has something. It's everybody has something. Generation, yeah. It's like, they, their socialization because they're immune and right uh, susceptibility and so on. It's yeah. yeah. Hopefully we're at the tail end, but we keep thinking that <laughs> yeah. like, you don't want to get your hopes up for I anything. Know. It's I like, know. Ah. So, and so do you want to talk about the yin energy and, and what it is that you do? 
Sure. Yeah. So let's see. So, at, so my background is in, you know, Chinese medicine is one of the backgrounds and we think of, I think everyone has seen the yin and the yang symbol or yin and yang. We say yin and yang um, in school, but so I look at that, that is a way to look at our, our world. It's sort of that symbol represents balance and duality, kind of the masculine and the feminine energy that we all contain within us. We all contain yin and yang within us. The yin and the yang is, is, the, is the day, nighttime and daytime. So it's this idea of opposites, but they're relative and they, they create harmony and balance. And so I've worked in my practice with women for a long time, mostly women. And I work and do a lot of women's health related work. And for years I struggled like, how do I tell a woman who's already, you know, super busy, super exhausted, burnt out that she's coming to me to feel better. And how do I tell her to do more self-care? Like, how can I give her one more thing to do? That is not what she needs. It's not helpful. It's just going to cause her more stress. So I really kind of struggled with that. And then I became a mom myself. And then I really struggled with that because I'm like, okay, now I'm a mom's like, no wonder I didn't want to tell those moms what to do because I knew I didn't get it. And I was just like, so overwhelmed and so frustrated that this was how life had to be like, it had to be so busy and so like, what, what is it all for? Like, what is all of this running around even for? And then I realized that we're looking like our society is in the yang or the masculine energy because our society values and prioritizes things like working, pushing, going hard, you know, never resting, you know, sleeping when you die, you know, like all these things. We think of that, you know, we see busy as a status symbol and, you know, we say, Hey, how are you? And we say busy, you know, and like, it's just this like, going, going, going. And when I realized that I was like, okay, well, we're not balancing the yin and the yang. And so we, we prioritize and value these yang qualities, but we do that at the expense of the yin. We do that at the expense that we devalue and deprioritize things like rest and play and, you know, stillness and self-care. And we don't mean to do these things, but that's just kind of the water that we're all swimming in. And so what I find is that in order to really create a life of balance, we have to shift this paradigm in our own minds, this conditioned paradigm that isn't serving us. And we get to choose, you know, do we want to live in a world that, you know, you know, if we're not productive, then we get to the end of the day and we just like, you know, we're not worth anything. Or do we want to live in a world where like we spent quality time with our children and we took a nap because we were tired. And then we had the energy to get through the rest of the afternoon and do the work and create more of a dynamic balance there. So that is a lot of the work that I do with the yin way. And is that how we get to the part of ourselves that knows boundless love, joy, and hope? (laughs) It is. I mean, it really becomes this idea that we all have different values and priorities in our life. And when we get really clear on what those are, then we can start to really make choices that are aligned with those values and priorities. And we can't necessarily have it all, you know, all the time. 
but we can feel good at the end of the day with how we lived our lives. I think of the book a lot, The Five Regrets of the Dying, which I actually haven't read, but I've like got the Cliff Notes version. Like just, you know, what are the five regrets? And, you know, one of them is like people regret that they work so hard. They regret that they didn't spend more time with their families. It's, it's just that, you know, if we live our lives without thinking intentionally about what we value and prioritize and working towards those things, then we're going to get to the end of our lives and have a whole bunch of regret. Yeah, definitely. Now, do you have a mentor, someone that you talk to and well, a mentor? I would say no one in particular, but I've worked with lots of people over the years. So there's some teachers that have really influenced me. One of which is her name is Dr. Claudia Welch. She's also an acupuncturist and an Ayurvedic practitioner, and she does a lot of women's health. So really her work really gave me the, the, the mindset and the understanding for how to um, help women today in this kind of busy world. But I've worked with, you know, coaches and therapists and all sorts of people and sort of taken a lot of wisdom from wherever I can get it. When you're out and you tell people what you do, What's the most common question that they ask you? Mostly they ask me if acupuncture hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, it, it, it generally doesn't hurt. It's, they're very tiny needles, nothing to fear. And sometimes you feel a little bit of the insertion, but generally you just feel so awesome that it, you know, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> and I have a fear of needles. So, you know, that's, <laughs> I had to work with that. <laughs> That's funny. Mm-hmm. What would you tell somebody who's having a tough time right now? I don't mean clinically depressed, but just having a tough time getting out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, one of the, the most important things is to not judge yourself, not, you know, judge yourself. Cause if you're already feeling bad, then we tend to judge ourselves for feeling bad. So, we, you know, we feel bad and then we say, Ugh, why I shouldn't feel so bad or like, you know, why do I feel this way? And we add it on more pressure to our already, you know, not feeling so good plate. And the other thing is to, to feel what you're feeling, to allow your feelings to be part of your experience. We, I think a lot of us were never taught that it was okay to feel sad or mad or, you know, whatever we felt. We're just, you know, I mean, maybe I'm speaking from experience, but I've spent some time in therapy with my therapist telling me, you know, it's so you can feel how you feel like you can feel this and it's okay. You know, you don't have to push past an uncomfortable feeling. Actually, when you sit with the feeling, you allow that feeling to transform and to process. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it passes <laughs> like you're not going to be passes. ever, <laughs> which was like, oh, who knew? Yeah, exactly. Not gonna be in it for the rest of your life. Like, oh, I was taught that feelings they peak for five minutes. Like, even mm-hmm. when you think of your absolute worst pain, mm-hmm. you aren't in it for the whole day. Yeah, and you're in it. I have a friend who just lost her child, mm-hmm. um, who got cancer and everything. But like, when she's in her worst pain and she's very vocal about it and she's all over social media and everything, she'll be in it for maybe hours. I mean, it's awful. Mm-hmm. It's the worst thing that can happen but it's not the entire day even mm-hmm. and it's the worst thing ever, you know, like you will not be in that worst pain, your worst heartache, your worst anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always through our worst pain anyway, that spawns our most growth, our most insight, right. our, our greatest gains in life. Yes. Well, weeks of hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Well, and something I want to say about that too is like, so, so the yin way and like this became, this was born out of grief for me out of a pregnancy loss. And it was this idea that in yin and yang, that we know that when anything reaches its maximum, it must transform to its opposite. When day turn, you know, reaches its fullness, it transforms to night and the cycle continues. And so I was like, if I can just sit with my grief and be with this pain, I know that it will transform and it will release. But I think we often spend so much time pushing away our feelings and, you know, resisting them and trying to get busy over them or under them. And that is what causes so much pain. It's not the feeling itself is, you know, is challenging, but it's okay because we can process it. But it's like all of this avoiding and pushing away is really what causes us more suffering. Okay. So do you have any suggestions for how people should process I mean, I think it probably depends on the severity, you know, some people will for sure need to see a a therapist or counselor. Some people it's a simple, it's as simple as learning some mindfulness practices and learning to tune into the body and the five senses. And, you know, whether you're doing something like washing dishes, you can do that mindfully and, you know, emotions are bound to come up if you've been shoving them down and, just to bring your attention to that and to use mindfulness practices would be a really useful way to start processing that, but also get help if you need it. You know, if you're really suffering, if you've gone through some, you know, big trauma, like don't do it alone. You know, we're, we're meant to process together. Yeah. When you say mindfulness practices, do you have anything in particular that you could recommend? I love Tara Brock, Tara Brock. Do you know her? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. TaraBrock.com. She's so wonderful. I listen to her podcast um, or her meditations and she has a bunch of books. So she's a mindfulness meditation teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was also taught to, when I'm having a strong reaction to notice where it is in my body Mm -hmm. and feel it all the way through. And that way it can process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think that's so important because we, we think we talk a lot about about physical digestion, but we forget about emotional digestion. And so much of our health issues, you know, they might stem from some unprocessed emotional stuff. So yeah, well, that's the whole. If it's hysterical, it's historical. I don't know if you've heard that, but if you uh, have a strong reaction to something you're saying to me, clearly uh, it's from something in my past. If I, so, that's the hysterical, and it means it's from something in my past. Oh, I love that. So I should take a look at it from like, well, what is it? And that's where the oh, if I journal about it, if I write, mm-hmm. I'll usually get to a root cause or something like that. Mm-hmm. So do you have any practices or things that you do on a fairly regular basis to try to maintain your emotional health? Mm -hmm. So meditation is probably still my go-to, but I I'm a journaler. I'm a lifelong journaler. I love uh, Julia Cameron's morning pages. And when I was going through the kind of the hardest part of my grief and loss. And this was before my second son was born. I I journaled every day and for hours because I had more time then. And that was really key to my emotional processing was, was really writing to try and make sense and try and give something meaning that really felt kind of meaningless. And so journaling is still a big practice for me. Truly, I would say it's, it's, it's trying to give myself some space. So trying not to overbook my schedule and trying to not over overwork myself because 
everyone is different, but like, I need a lot of space to just process and to be slow and to zone out and to take a walk. And being a mom of a three-year-old in a pandemic while working is, there's not a lot of time for that, but I do what I can because it's absolutely crucial to my mental health. So some people need not quite as much space as I do. And truly I don't get a ton, but the, the time I do get maybe in the mornings before my son gets up or at nap time is really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Being gentle with yourself is, is important. Yes. Especially now. Yeah. Um, Not to be so we're our own harshest critics. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any message of hope that you would want to give? Yeah. I think that, I think that there's always hope, you know, the only thing we know for certain is that everything changes. So if you're in a really difficult space right now, you know, it's not going to last this way forever, but it also, it often, you know, we do need to get help and reach out and connect where we can to make it easier on ourselves. But, you know, when I think we, like you said this just a minute ago, when we can see our greatest obstacles as opportunities and, 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 you know, as our moments of challenge to really learn and grow, then, you know, there's so much hope there to live an even fuller life, a more meaningful life. So yeah, definitely. And Mm -hmm. everything that we go through ends up being an an experience that we can use to help others to say, you can get through this. Mm -hmm. You're going to get through this because I went through it. And so if I can get through it, you can definitely get through it because I'm a wuss. I don't mean this about you. I mean, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like that, uh, look, all of us have gotten through it. So you can do it and you don't have to do it alone. Like I can help mm-hmm. you. It's just, it's one of those things that now people are talking about finally all the trouble with pregnancy and pregnancy loss and everything mm-hmm. else. I don't know why it wasn't talked ever spoken out right. loud. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, Best so friends common. hadn't told each other about their mm-hmm. infertility problems and everything else. And, and now they're finding out, Oh, I wish I had known. Oh yeah. Right. It's so absurd. Yeah. Uh, or we don't tell each other. Women don't tell each other. Oh, don't tell anybody you're pregnant until you're this many weeks. I'm mm-hmm. like, why? If you lose it, we need the support of each other. Right. Exactly. It makes no sense to me, but I mean, that's, that's me. Like mm-hmm. you, I'm an open book. I'm like, if I'm going through something, I, I'm like, no, I want I don't want to go through it alone, but that it took me a long time to get there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's really true. And especially with pregnancy loss. And that was, you know, I was 21 weeks when um, we had to make a really difficult decision regarding our baby had um, was found to have multiple severe fetal anomalies and would not live basically a life. And so my husband and I chose to terminate my pregnancy when I was 21 weeks. And it was terrible because I wanted this baby more than anything. And I loved this baby. And, you know, it was it. And then, and then after the loss, it was like the silence around it became its own separate burden to bear. And I was, you know, grieving the loss of my first child and then struggling with my identity as, cause I felt like a mother, but I wasn't didn't look like a mother to everybody else. And so there was so many layers of, of grief and the, the, the weight of the invisibility of it was almost too much to bear. So I really got vocal and I just started telling my story because it's, it's one of controversy and people don't understand, you know, later term abortions. And I found my way to NPR and women's health magazine and all these places that wanted to hear 
my story. And I, and I hope that it, for people who listen to it, they can, you know, if they've gone through something like that or know somebody who has, they can feel less alone. Or if they are very, you know, have preconceived notions about abortion, then it, you know, for some people, they, they understand it in a deeper way because they can connect that, you know, polarized, you know, word to a human experience. And so, yeah, just, you know, we all need to be witnessed and validated and seen. I kind of had to give that to myself to, to find ways to, for people to see me as the mother that I, I felt that I was and as the, the woman grieving that I was. And that's really inspired me to write a book on grief. Um, and it, a friend of mine was grieving a loss and I just started writing her a letter and just all these words started pouring out of me. And I thought, you know what, maybe this is, maybe this is the book. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, plus mm-hmm. all the hormones too, you, you know, yeah. all the hormones and everything. The po- yeah. The postpartum experiences. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, one thing I learned from interviewing 52 people over 52 weeks is we need community. Yes. Each other. And that's it's just so true. We are not meant to do this thing alone. Mm -hmm. So I think it's I think it's just so great that I love NPR. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got you. If you're out there and you're listening, you you don't have to do this alone. And uh, there's just so many places. I, I mean, and now you could just Google and there's there's a group. There is some group for you that you can join. Right. Um, be a part of uh, yeah. for whatever it is you're going through. I mean, absolutely. absolutely. I'm, I'm in a group and it was, it was like, it's a, it was a lifeline to find people who were experiencing the same exact kind of loss as I was. So yeah. it's out there. Yeah. And if not, then you can create it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive mm-hmm. and well. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. I so enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Rachel's messages of wellness, slowing down and self-care. Such good messages for all of us to take into our week ahead. If you're on Clubhouse, please sure to visit me. I have the Hope Club. How perfect, right? (laughs) On Clubhouse, I have a room on Thursdays at 11 a.m. So come and say hi. If you need an invitation, just drop me a line at 52weeksofhope.com and I will get you an invitation. There's also an ebook on the website to being your best self now. And that ebook is free. Just go to the website again, 52weeksofhope.com. You'll get ideas of how to feel better right now to get in touch with what motivates you and lights you up from the inside, which is a good segue directly from what Rachel was just talking about with our own self-care. Be sure to tune in next week for Visionary Business Success Story and Entrepreneur Mike Alden. Oh my gosh, he is so much fun to listen to. I'll cut out a whole bunch of it because it was way too long, but we just kept talking and talking and talking. He is a best-selling author, lawyer, podcast host himself. He's a renowned speaker. He's named as one of Boston's 40 under 40. He's all about work, being your best self. He had a lot to prove coming from where he comes from. And he worked very hard to be where he is today. And he wants you to be your best self too. And he's here to tell you how to do just that next week. So to be sure to tune in to hear Mike Alden. Very, very fun episode. So until then, thank you for listening. Please leave us a positive review and go to the website, 52weeksofhope.com and tell two of your friends to listen. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.